The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So the world that uh, you and I live in um, would have each one of us believe that, you know, heaven is a good place where good God lives and all good people go there someday, which is really convenient because we are all basically pretty good. The problem, however, um, is that Jesus comes along and into that idea, Jesus says some things that kind of set him apart from uh, everything that everybody else would actually have us believe about God. And then uh, something kind of interesting happens at that point. Um, Secular scholars, they come and they actually try to take away from Jesus those things that actually make him unique. And they try to just lump him in uh, with every other religious leader, which kind of leaves you and me with an interesting question, which is that if Jesus isn't different, right? I mean, if Jesus isn't really the only way to God, if, uh, if Christianity isn't, you know, really true, um, if Jesus didn't actually mean all those things that, you know, the Bible says that he said, or if he wasn't, you know, if he didn't really say those things, um, then, then really, why in the world are, are we here? right? And, and certainly not just us here in this place, but all over the world, why are there so many people that actually say uh, pretty much the same thing, that this person, Jesus, who, who, who I've never actually seen, but who I have a personal relationship with, that he has, in fact, changed my life. Why, why in the world would there be two billion people who, who believe that God actually sent his son, Jesus, into this world to die as the payment for sin, right? Not, not his sin, um, because he didn't have any, but rather your sin and, and my sin, making him not just you know, a religious leader, but actually your Savior and, and my Savior. Why exactly would so many people believe that um, if, if Jesus is really just nothing more than another prophet? I mean, if he's really just nothing more than another representative of a God that all paths lead towards anyway. I mean, why, why in the world would so many people actually believe that? I mean, is... Is it just because we're all so desperate for something to, to believe in, right? Is that, all, is that all what this is all about? Is that all that there is to this? And, and, of course, the resounding answer to that question is no, right? As followers of Jesus, right, what, what we believe in um, is, is so uni- incredibly different because we don't just simply follow Jesus as a religious leader, right? We don't just follow a teaching. We don't just follow a philosophy. As followers of Jesus, what we believe is actually based in history. It's actually based on eyewitness testimony that, that is recorded for us in these books, these four books that you and I think of and that we often refer to as the Gospels. And what makes these books so unique is that these books actually claim to record real events that happened in the first century. They claim to record the actual events, the conversations, and the miracles of Jesus. And if that's true, if that's really true, then these books are incredibly important to us because everything that we believe about Jesus is therefore based on these books. In fact, this is the argument that we began last week looking at together. We're going to continue this argument today, which is that uh, if these books are in fact a reliable record of actual historical events, then, then Jesus, he really did claim to be the Son of God because that's what these books record. Jesus then substantiated that claim to be the Son of God based on the miracles that are also found in these books, including, most importantly, Jesus' own personal resurrection from the dead. And if that's true, 
If Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, then what Jesus says to us about the rest of this book, as well as his Father, as well as God, must also be true. That's the argument that we're going to look at again together today. Now, last week, you may remember if you were with us, that one of the things that we said was that whenever we're talking about history, whenever it it comes to discussions about history, right, the truth is you can't prove anything. The question is never, what's the proof? The question is, what is the evidence, right? That's why in a court of law, a jury listens to evidence, and then they weigh that evidence, and in evaluating that evidence, they come to a conclusion. They come to a decision. And when they're evaluating evidence, the the evidence is evaluated based on the question, not what possible explanation, but what is a probable explanation. What's a a probable explanation for this evidence that, that we have? And again, the reason why this matters so much, the reason why you actually care about this, is because it is absolutely unbelievable that we have more information about a poor Jewish carpenter by the name of Jesus than we do the Roman emperors who lived during the exact same period of history, right? Men who ruled over a territory of of 2 million square miles, men who ruled over 55 million inhabitants, and yet it's absolutely amazing that we have more information about what Jesus said and did than any other person who lived at any time during the first or second centuries. So you owe it to yourself. I mean, we all do to really ask the question, where did these books come from? How in the world did they survive? And why why do we actually have them? What is the most probable explanation for their existence? And so today, as we continue in our series, we're going to actually talk about the authors of these four books. The the first one is a guy by the name of Matthew. Now, Matthew, um, you may know, is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and Matthew actually tells us in his book that he was a tax collector. And because he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, what Matthew writes to us is actually first-person eyewitness testimony about what he heard Jesus um, say and what he saw Jesus do. John uh, was also one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and so that also makes him a first-person eyewitness to the events surrounding Jesus' life. But in addition to being one of the disciples, John was also one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, he, along with his brother James and Peter, were the three guys that actually spent the most time with Jesus. In fact, John was the only disciple who actually remained with Jesus while he was being crucified. Next is Mark. Now, Mark is kind of interesting because Mark wasn't a disciple. In fact, uh, Mark was actually a friend uh, of the apostle Peter, and so the information that Mark gives us actually comes from Peter. Peter tells us in one of his own letters that that Mark uh, was like his son. Now, Mark wasn't his biological son, we know that, but instead that was actually a statement by Peter telling us how close their relationship really was. And then finally, there's Luke. And in many ways, Luke is actually the most interesting of all the gospel writers um, because, again, Luke wasn't a disciple. In fact, just like most of us here today, Luke wasn't even Jewish. Luke was actually a Greek. He was a very well-educated Greek physician. He was a doctor. And so he was trained to be logical. He was actually trained to be inquisitive, to ask questions. And just like all of us here today, Luke also became a follower of Jesus based on the testimony of other followers of Jesus. And then he gathered all of those testimonies together and he put them down on paper in an orderly way so that one of his friends could actually learn about who Jesus 
really is. Luke tells us all of this in the very beginning of his book, which we're going to read together right now. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 1. It's on page 1,587 in the Bibles in front of you. Now, right in the beginning of, of Luke chapter 1, um, he, he makes this interesting statement. It's really easy for us to miss this as the beginning of his letter. But Luke tells us this. He says, Many, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And so right away, Luke tells us there was a whole lot of people that were doing the exact same thing that he was doing when he was writing his account of the life of Jesus. Verse 2, Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. In other words, Luke's saying, the reason you know this is true, the reason uh, that, that you can believe that these things are true, Luke tells us, is because he actually went and interviewed all the eyewitnesses to the events that he is writing about. And then verse 3, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. And so what Luke is saying to us is that, listen, I am now a follower of Jesus, he says, and I'm a follower of Jesus because of all these things that I've heard, all these people that I've spoken to. And so I have interviewed every single one of these eyewitnesses. I put it all together in a logical way. I'm going to give this to my friend Theophilus because I want my friend Theophilus to know Jesus the way that I know Jesus. I want my friend Theophilus to be able to say that Jesus, he really is the Son of God. Now Luke tells us that in the very beginning of his book. And he had no idea that that 2,000 years later, you and I would actually be sitting here talking today about his book. He had no idea that 2,000 years later, most of us would have a copy of his book sitting somewhere in our home someplace. And knowing that, it's really important that we understand that, that these are not, right, these are not four parts of one larger book. That is not what these are, right? Instead, these are four different books, right? The men who wrote these books, they had no idea that hundreds and hundreds of years after they wrote their books, that they would actually be combined into one great big book, some handy-dandy, easy-to-carry-along book that you and I call the Bible, right? They had no idea that that would actually happen. And so Luke tells us about why it is that he wrote his book. But is that really true? Is that really the reason why we have not only Luke's book, but also these other four books as well? I mean, what are the other possible reasons that they exist, right? These are the kind of things that your friends say to you. These are the kind of things that maybe you hear your coworkers say. Maybe you've even heard a teacher at work say things like this. They tell you, well, you know, those books, they could just all be the result of, of collective fabrication, right? In other words, what happened um, is that, you know, the, the guys, you know, Jesus, the guys, the disciples, um, after Jesus died, um, they really wanted to, you know, they, they kind of gathered everybody together and they said, you know, it's up to us, got to keep the dream alive. The only way that's going to happen is if we can tell some people some really amazing stories about Jesus, and then that way, you know, everyone's going to want to follow this Jesus guy. And so what we need to do is come up with some pretty big stories that are going to keep people interested. And so John, he said, okay, I got a good one. Uh, I'm going to tell everybody that Jesus healed a guy who was born blind. That'll work. 
And Luke said, okay, I can top that. I can tell everybody that I actually saw Jesus walking on water one night. They're never going to believe that. And Mark looked at both of them and he said, okay, well, you know, Luke, yours is pretty good. But honestly, John, yours is a lot better. So, Luke, I'm not going to use yours in my book, um, but, but I am. I'm going to repeat uh, what it is that John said, right? That basically all these stories are just made-up stories about Jesus, that these guys just got together in a back room someplace and made it all up. It's all a big story, right? You should know that even though you might hear your friends or family members or other people say things like that, there's absolutely no one in the academic community that actually believes that that is a viable, possible reason for why it is that these four books exist. Even non-Christian scholars actually reject that idea for why it is that we have these four books. Now, that next possible category of why these books are here um, is that they could be the result of collective confusion, which means, again, all the guys got together after Jesus died, and they all kind of looked at each other and said, okay, what was it? You've got to remember some of the stuff that Jesus did. What was it that, that Jesus did? Um, and John was like, well, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, Jesus was always around sick people. I'm pretty sure that one time, at least one time, I saw Jesus heal a guy that had really bad eyesight. I mean, he might have even been blind. I'm pretty sure um, that that happened. And, and Mark was like, yeah, that, I think I remember hearing about that. Luke, did you ever hear anything about that? And, and Luke was like, well, I don't know about that one, but I did hear that, you know, Jesus came walking out to some people on, a, on, a, on the river one night. Um, was that you guys? Was that you in the boat? Maybe, maybe it was you. Did, didn't Luke, didn't Jesus come walking out to you one night while you guys were fishing? And, and, you know, Mark was like, yeah, I think so. That makes sense. And so basically what this idea is, is that all these guys, they got together and they kind of, uh, even though, you know, they didn't necessarily remember all the details, they kind of remembered some stuff that Jesus did. Now the problem with this possibility is that um, although they really believed the things that they were kind of remembering about Jesus, it's very odd that they were all confused about the exact same thing. So um, that kind of makes this possibility seem e- even less likely. The third kind of big bucket of possible explanations is that these are just the result of, of individual fabrication, right? That individually on their own all these guys went off, and individually on their own they made, all made up these really crazy stories about the things that Jesus said and did. Now the upside to this explanation is that if you really have a hard time with the miracles of Jesus, then this is a good one for you um, because it kind of says all those things are just lies. The problem, however, is that you've got to admit um, it is rather miraculous that on their own these four guys would go off and they would kind of all make up stories that fit you know, so incredibly well together, all talking about the stuff that Jesus said and the stuff that Jesus did. The final category is that these books are nothing more than the result of individual confusion. That individually these guys did go off and they did individually write their books and they did individually remember most of what it is that they wrote down, but they were, again, slightly confused about all the specific events, which, once again, would say that if this is true, um, even though they were confused, they were really, really lucky, I guess, that they kind of were confused about the same stuff. So even though those might be things that you've heard teachers or coworkers or other friends say about why these four books exist, what you need to know is that nobody in the academic world, no scholar, actually believes that those are viable possibilities for why it is that we have these four books. None of them actually think that that is a good explanation because people in the academic world know that none of those four options can actually hold up under scrutiny. 
None of them can actually support a, a basis of probable cause for the reason of their existence. Right? If we only had one book, if we only had Mark, then, then you could make any one of those four ideas stick. Same thing if you only had John or if we only had you know, Luke or, or, or Matthew. But the fact that we actually have four different accounts from four different people, two eyewitnesses, two people who interviewed eyewitnesses, every academic agrees that there's no way that you could have four stories that are so different and yet so amazingly similar if it was the result of confusion or fabrication. There's no, that's, everybody rejects that possible reason for the existence of these books. Now, further evidence, further evidence um, for that conclusion that those possibilities are, are not good possibilities is that when you actually read these four books, what you find in them is exactly what you would expect to find if four different people were to record actual events experienced in history from four different perspectives. This is, in fact, major evidence for why we have these four books. Because what you'd expect to find is the following. You would expect that if four different people were to to tell you about the same events in history, you would expect to find amongst those four different people a different emphasis on those events. Each person is going to put a slightly different emphasis on the events as they unfold. Some are going to give you a lot of details about those events. Some are going to give you very few details about those events. Secondly, you would expect to find, again, varying details. Some, each person is going to pay attention differently to those things that they think are important in the events as they take place. Third, you would actually expect to find a very similar flow from beginning to end. Right? If four different people are telling you about an event that actually took place, you would expect that all four people should start the same way and they should stop the same way and they should basically tell the same story as they move from beginning to end, which is exactly what we find. And then finally, probably most importantly, you would actually expect that we would find some apparent contradictions within their stories, right? Because whenever you get multiple people telling you about an actual event that happened, on the surface, it may appear that they are contradicting themselves. Why? Because of those first three things. Different emphasis, varying details, but at the same time, a general agreement of the flow of events, right? And what we find when we read through these books is that is exactly what we experience from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Again, if there were only two accounts, that would be a totally different story. But we have four accounts of the life of one person moving from one point to another, four different individuals all telling the same story over the course of the same three-year period. Right? And that's exactly what we'd expect to find. If there were no contradictions in their stories, that would actually be evidence that they got together and got their stories straight. Right? The fact that there are some contradictions actually proves that there was no collusion involved as they were writing their accounts of the life of Jesus. If there were no contradictions, we should actually be suspect. The fact that there are some is evidence that these events actually happened. And even though there are some differences, there is a remarkable similarity as they move from beginning to end. It's exactly what we would expect to find if four different people recorded the same actual events. Now the truth is, you and I, we experience this exact same thing in our world all the time. Anytime there's a major sporting event that takes place, 
Anytime there's a critical play or there's a critical call that happens somewhere in the game, right? If you were to take four different people out and ask them to describe the events and the moments leading up to that, that moment in the game, what you would experience is the exact same thing. E- each person's stories are going to be a little bit different. Some people are going to give emphasis to one part of the story. Other people are going to give emphasis to another parts of the story. Some are going to give you lots of details. Some are going to give you very few details. But their stories are all going to move in the same direction from beginning to end. And there may even be some apparent contradictions in their stories because of their vantage point or their perspective as the game is unfolding. Now, when this happens in our world, right, nobody accuses anybody of lying, do they? No, they just simply remember and they recognize this is four different people recalling the experiences of the event that they just witnessed. Now, here's the point. In a sporting event or in a game, right, this takes place within a couple of minutes, maybe at most within a couple of hours. What do you think is going to happen if you were to spend or you were to try to record three years of your life with somebody else during a three-year period of time? Right? The greater the amount of time that's there, the greater the possibility there is for differences to develop in the details and the emphasis and for perspective, which again is exactly what we would expect to find. If there were no differences, we should actually be suspect that these just guys just got together and made it all up. Now there's ev- other evidence that supports this conclusion as well. See, these men, they never became rich or famous for what it is that they wrote. Right? If all of a sudden these guys became you know, uh, celebrities back in Rome someplace and everybody wanted their autograph or everybody wanted to get a statue carved of them or something for their homes, then, then, maybe, right, then maybe we should actually be suspect of, of what it is that they said. But, but that never happened with these guys. Instead, all of them, as well as all the rest of the disciples, they spent their lives being persecuted for the message that they preached. Their message was considered to be illegal. Matthew and, and uh, I'm sorry, Andrew and Peter ended up being crucified. Matthew ended up being burned at the stake. Um, John was exiled on an island, and he was left there to die. John's brother James was actually killed by King Herod. Uh, the other James was stoned by a group of Pharisees. Jude and, and Thomas, uh, both of them were martyred while they were preaching. Thomas in India and, and Jude back in Beirut. See, these men were not men who gained anything from the books that they had written. If anything, their lives were actually made more difficult because of what it is that they wrote. Now, further evidence, and and, and perhaps most important, is this. See, these men did not die for what they believed. That happens all the time, right? You and I live in a world today where we're very familiar with people dying for what they believe. That, That doesn't prove anything. That's not unique. These men actually died for what it is that they saw. And that is a big, big difference. When you read their message, their message was not that Jesus said a bunch of good things. Their message wasn't that Jesus healed me. Their message wasn't even that Jesus answered all of my prayers. At the center of their message was Jesus is risen from the dead. I saw him. Jesus is risen from the dead. I saw him. At the center of their message, it wasn't a philosophy, it wasn't a teaching, it wasn't even the promise of a better life. At the center of their message was an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus. And these men, they all went to their graves saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God because I saw Jesus alive 
again. And that makes their message, that makes their testimony, and that makes their martyrdom very, very significant. Because, see, you know this. A person, any person, might actually lie if they thought that was going to save their life. But a person is not going to lie in order to die, are they? And these men, as well as the countless other eyewitnesses to these events, all of them, they gave up their lives not for a new way of life, not for a new philosophy of life. They gave up their lives because they saw a dead man alive again, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That is overwhelming evidence that what these men recorded in these books is true. Now maybe you're sitting there today, and and much like last week if you were with us, And maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, if it really is that cut and dry, if it really is that obvious, if there really is just that much information that's so clear, then why in the world do I very distinctly remember my philosophy professor, my English lit professor, telling me about the unreliability of those four books? If that is all as you say it is. And the reason is simply this. It's what we said last week. It's because in our world there exists a very real bias against the supernatural. And so whenever I open up one of these books and I see that there's a miracle in here, I immediately have to close it right back up again and say, you know, I know this can't be true because I've never seen this before. I've never experienced this before. I've never seen the supernatural. I've never experienced the supernatural. So therefore I know the supernatural does not exist and therefore I cannot trust these books because these books are filled with the supernatural. Now, just like we said last week, that is not a very academic reason to actually reject these books, nor is it a very scientific reason. It is, however, the bias that exists in our world. And so it's incumbent upon the academic community to actually come up with a different explanation, a different reason why for these, the existence of these four books. Because again, what's undeniable is we actually have these four books, right? All saying almost exactly the same thing, that the Son of God came to earth. He died on the cross as payment for our sin, as proof that he did, God actually raised him from the dead. And so the academic community, they don't say it was collusion. They know better. They don't claim it was delusion or confusion. They don't even claim that it was fabrication. Instead, what you've probably heard in college, in fact, what many of you would hear even in a Christian college today, the explanation, the only explanation, the only plausible explanation that the academic community is left with is simply this. Matthew didn't write Matthew. And Mark, he certainly didn't write Mark. John didn't write John. And and, and we have no idea who this guy Luke was, so it doesn't really matter what he said anyway. What happened was this, that many years after Jesus died, his teachings were still popular. And there were still people who were interested in what it was that Jesus was saying and the things that they heard about Jesus. And so uh, what they proposed is that many years after all the eyewitnesses died out, um, a guy um, by the name of of Bob. I mean, we don't know. Don't know what his name was, so it could have been Bob. Um, So we'll just call him Bob. Many years after Jesus died and all the eyewitnesses died out as well, a guy by the name of Bob, um, he said to himself, you know what? 
I had better write some of this stuff down because some of it is pretty good. And so, Jesus, so Bob began to write down all these teachings of Jesus, all these things that he heard about Jesus, kind of filling in some missing pieces as he went along. But as Bob was writing his, his book, he realized that if I call this the gospel of Bob, nobody's going to believe any of this. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to borrow a name, and I'm going to borrow a name that everybody will recognize. I'm going to call it the gospel of Matthew. And so Bob lies. But that's okay, because the book is just filled with lies. But see, the lies, they're actually there for a good reason. The lies are there to support what Bob thinks is most important, which is the philosophy of Jesus. But Bob knows nobody's really interested in any of that, and so Bob decides to add to what Jesus said, all those fantastical, mythical things to make, you know, what Jesus said a little bit more interesting a little bit more intriguing, perhaps even a little bit more engaging. So is that possible? Sure. Anything's possible. The problem, however, is this. For this theory to actually work, um, there can't just be a Bob, right? There also has to be a Joe and a Fred, because we also have Mark and John. But you know what the real fatal flaw to this theory is? It's actually the whole reason why last week, why we spent so much time together talking about the manuscripts. Because, see, if our manuscripts um, were from 900 and 1100 A.D., just like the ones of the history of Rome, then the truth is that would actually be a problem because that would actually support this theory. But see, the manuscripts that we have, they actually support the fact that the Gospel of Mark was written in 50 A.D., while there were still hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses that were alive. They actually support the fact that Mark and Luke, that they wrote their Gospels in 60 A.D., while there were still hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses that were alive to testify that these books were, in fact, accurate and reliable. And so many people in the academic community to this very day, they keep trying to push the dates and the ages of these books farther and farther and farther away in an attempt to keep their theory alive. But with every single discovery that's made, every single archaeological discovery of a new manuscript, every time a date is confirmed, it becomes more and more evident that it's not a theory that is alive. It is Jesus who is alive. And if you are one of the many, many people in our culture or in our world today that's kind of drifted away from Christianity because of what somebody said about one of these four books, see, then the good news is this. You can come back. And you do not have to sacrifice your brain. You don't have to sacrifice your mind. You don't have to try to figure out why your professor was wrong. It doesn't have anything to do with any of that. Because what we believe as followers of Jesus, is actually based on history. It's based on an event. And history tells us that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, in fact, reliable witnesses. That's how we know, and that is why we can believe. It's why we can believe even when we don't understand what's happening around us. It's why we can believe even when we have unanswered prayers, even when we have questions, even 
when we have doubts. See, the reason for our hope, it really is the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he loved you so much that he actually died on a cross to pay for your sin. And to prove that he did, God raised him from the dead. How do we know? Because of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses that testified to it happening and because of four guys who wrote it all down and who record for us history that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Now, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, for your further conclusion today, you will find on the back, for your further discussion today, I should say, at the conclusion of our time, you will find on the back of your outline this morning a couple of instructions, a couple of questions, um, which I would like you to consider and I would like you to consider them uh, with the people perhaps that you came here today. Maybe um, you want to consider them on your own. That's fine, too, if that's what you would prefer to do. Next week, uh, I want you to be prepared. We are going to hear from an expert uh, in this field. Dr. Gary Habermas is going to be with us, and he will be giving us more evidence to consider. So let me pray for you, and then we're going to send you on your way. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this day. Thank you so much that we have the opportunity to talk about all of these things in public. Father, thank you for preserving not only your word for us, but Father, thank you especially for the resurrection. That you didn't just simply leave us with another list of things to do or another prophet to believe in, but Father, that you actually gave us proof by raising your son Jesus from the dead. Father, we are here in this place today because of that fact. And for those of us who are here this morning who are wrestling with these questions, uh, my, my prayer, Father, is just as we have kind of tried to talk about this openly and amongst uh, a, a group of, of friends here in this place, Father, I pray that they would actually struggle openly, that they would actually talk uh, to the people that they're here, the people who are in their lives, that um, they would actually share the struggles that they have. And Father, most of all, that you would give to each and every one of us the wisdom and the faith that we need to know what to do and what to believe with everything that we've just heard. All this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to leave you uh, with these final words um, also from an eyewitness, a man by the name of Peter. He makes you this promise. The one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you next weekend.